Amen. Add my welcome to Zach's. My name's Kevin. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here. I'm so glad that you are here with us to worship today. The way that we do sermons here at Grace Fellowship is we work our way through whole books of the Bible. And so as a church family, we've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel, uh, which is the first uh, of four accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, We're actually going to skip forward in Matthew uh, a little bit. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 today. Uh, And the reason that we're doing that is uh, it's something of a special occasion. Uh, For starters, today is Reformation Sunday, Reformation Day. Uh, And on this Sunday every year, uh, we just remember uh, the Protestant Reformation that began over 500 years ago in a little town named Wittenberg in Germany. Uh, And that work of revival spread across Europe uh, and into the United States and all around the world. And our church, uh, born over 100 years ago, uh, is a part of that heritage. Uh, the second reason that today is a special occasion and the reason that I'm skipping forward to Matthew chapter 20 is uh, that this Sunday will begin a, a season of nominating new leaders for our church. Now, it's not that our old leaders, our current elders and deacons, they aren't going anywhere, uh, but we are nominating new elders and deacons. Uh, and so today kicks off a week of prayer for that process. Uh, And we have uh, nomination guides that are out in the gathering area. They should be on the resource table. Uh, If you're a member of Grace Fellowship, make sure you grab one of those before you head home today. That guide will help you pray through and think through this process of nominating and training and electing new leaders. Uh, And if you have any questions about that process, uh, feel free to come and see me. I will be down front uh, after the worship service to answer any questions Uh, particular to that whole uh, leadership process, but a lot of information is covered in those guides. Also, I was told to mention that the, this is totally unrelated, hard shift, the Mercy team will meet in the fellowship hall after worship today. So if you're a part of that team or interested in that team, um, after worship in the fellowship hall, which is the building directly, if you go through that door directly back there. But um, back to leadership in the sermon. Uh, What we're going to look at today is where Jesus, uh, what Jesus has to say about leadership. So we're going to look at that from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28. Uh, If you're using one of the Bibles that are in the rack there in front of you, uh, you should find today's passage on page 825. Let's give our attention to God's word. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside And on the way, he said to them, look, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and scribes and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand 
and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask him for his help in hearing it and receiving it. Heavenly Father, we are needful of your grace. We are prone to wander. We feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take our hearts and seal them for your courts above. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word. That you would build up your saints. That you would... Encourage those who are struggling and that you would call in those who have not yet believed in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. No doubt you have heard the phrase, uh, a new normal. We use that phrase a lot. And the reason we use it a lot is because we experience it a lot. Right, we have a number of uh, new parents in our congregation. They are living the new normal right now. Uh, little, little voices. Where, where once there was freedom, there is freedom no longer. Uh, where once there were quiet nights, there are quiet nights no longer. Um, but that's not the only stage in life that we have to learn something new. Anytime, when, when we leave home, start a new job. That's a new normal. Families who for years have heard little feet and little voices uh, in their homes. Uh, that, that silence begins to set in as one after another of those children leaves home. Again, a new normal. And so that, that reality is constant through, throughout our lives. And new normals can be very difficult, especially when they cut across our expectations. And that's what we see happening here. Jesus and his disciples are going up to the city of Jerusalem. They're going for the Passover feast. And so there are a lot of uh, pilgrims, a lot of travelers on the road with them. And Jesus takes his little merry band aside and he explains to them what is going to happen when they get there. And Jesus is very clear and he has been very clear. This is the third time in Matthew's gospel that he has told them what will happen. And each time he tells them, they don't get it. They don't understand. It doesn't click. Why is that? 
Well, it's not because they're any duller or dumber than you or I. It's because what Jesus is telling them doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit into their mold of what the Messiah is supposed to do. You see, these men believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the the chosen king, the promised king, the one who would come and would bring God's kingdom. And in that belief, they are correct. The problem is they define that very differently from Jesus. This is a great example of how we can use the same exact words and mean two very different things. So they would affirm the right things about Jesus, but their understanding of what Jesus has come to do and Jesus' understanding are two very different things. And so Jesus has to constantly tell them. Right? But they hear it, and then they don't respond. They don't be like, oh, okay, now I get it. In fact, it, it seems a little bit jarring, doesn't it, that right after Jesus announces that he is, I mean, he's pretty graphic. He's, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. And then he's going to be raised again from the dead. And it's almost like in the next breath that James and John, seem, the, the, the sons of Zebedee, they seem a little bit tone deaf. They're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, sure, sure. Okay, mocked, uh, flogged, beaten, crucified, great. Can we have some positions of power? Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't fit. And I think the reason it doesn't fit is because they don't really get it. They don't fully understand what Jesus is talking about. And so what do we do when we don't understand what somebody's talking about? We revert to what we know. We just we kind of don't see it, and we move into what we know. And what they know is that, hey, Jesus is the king, and we're going to Jerusalem, the capital city. That means it's time for the king to sit on the throne. And so James and John, and I guess their family, thinks, all right, well, this is the moment then. right? If Jesus is going to be taking his throne when he gets to Jerusalem, then we need to, we need to get on board with that. We want to make sure that we are close to him. Right? They're operating in their old normal. And so Jesus has to come along and give them a new normal. So that's how we're going to look at this one today. Right? Um, the good news is that Jesus uses this opportunity to teach us that he has a new way to live and a new way to lead. So first we're going to talk about how we normally think about life and leadership And then we're going to see how Jesus gives us a new way to live. And then finally, how Jesus gives us a new way to lead. But let's talk about how we normally think about life and leadership. James and John want something from Jesus. And so the best way to get something for yourself is to have your mom ask for it. Warning to helicopter parents everywhere. Uh, Their mom comes to Jesus, and she's very, she's very respectful. She kneels before Jesus. And I, look, and I don't think any of this, I think this is, this is honest on their parts. This is, I mean, again, they are operating in what they know. And they, what they know is that if Jesus is the king and he's coming into his glory, right, then we want to be a part of that. And so they're not acting in a way that's, that's any different from the way that you and I would act. Uh, and I imagine they're, Mom, their family feels the same way, so she comes to Jesus, she's very respectful, and she makes a request. She says, hey, I've got something I'd like you to do for me. And Jesus says, okay, let's hear it. And she says, would you permit my sons 
to sit at your right hand and at your left. And so the two positions of power closest to the king's authority, right? They are, they are right, right next door, right? If the king is the ultimate authority, right and left hand are right next, to, right next to him, right? They sit on both sides of the throne. So she's asking for positions of prominence and influence and authority. And in one sense, this is actually a mark of faith. It shows that they actually believe what, they're actually willing to put their money where their mouth is. They believe that Jesus is the king and they want to serve at his side. And they're just like us. They're demonstrating the way that we commonly think about power and influence and glory. If you want to have power, you need to get connected to somebody who has the power. If you want to be connected, right, right, if you want to be one of the right people, you have to be connected to the right people. That's what James and John want. And Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking. You do not have a clue, right? This is not a minor error in their understanding of who Jesus is. It is a fundamental error in their understanding of who Jesus is, right? Their, their view of life doesn't need to be, you know, just doesn't need like a little tweak. Jesus isn't like, well, you got a, got a few things off. No, their understanding needs to be totally reoriented. They have no idea what kind of kingdom this is, even though Jesus has consistently taught about it. Jesus teaches consistently that his kingdom is one of lowliness and sacrifice. And so even the fact that they ask for greatness shows that they don't get it. And to top it all off, their ignorance continues. Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking for. Can you drink my cup? And they don't skip a beat. Sure can. Sign us up. Right? They don't, they don't even take a breath and ask for understanding. Like, well, hold on. What will that mean to drink your cup? They're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Where do we, where do we sign up? And so uh, Jesus, right, th- this, this idea of the cup, this image of the cup, is an Old Testament image of God's wrath and judgment. All four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us, use that image to show how Jesus is the one who drinks that cup. He is the one who takes God's judgment upon himself. But James and John agree without hesitation. Like, whatever the price, it's worth it. We can. And then we see that the rest of the ten are angry as well. That once they hear about it, Matthew says they were indignant. What a great word. It means really angry. But somehow when you say it, like you can, like the, the shape of your mouth in saying the word indignant conveys the meaning of the word. Right? It means much grieved. They are put out with their two friends. Why? It's not because they're sensitive to Jesus. It's because they got beat to the punch. It's not because they're like, oh man, you guys, didn't you hear what Jesus said about being flogged and crucified? You shouldn't have asked him about that. That's silly. No, they're like, oh, why didn't I think about that? I should have gotten my mom 
to ask for a position of power and influence. Now, how do we know that's their motive? How do we know that's why they're mad? Because Jesus goes on to say, he he goes on to use this uh, as an opportunity to tell them what real leadership looks like. He's correcting all 12 of them here, right? He uses their ambition to show them how life and leadership in his kingdom are different. So how is life different in the kingdom? How does Jesus show us a new way to live? Well, let's back up a little bit and look at verse 23. After uh, James and John said they are able to drink the cup, Jesus says, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. What does Jesus mean when he says, you will drink my cup? He's not saying that they will be able to absorb God's judgment like he will. He's not saying that they will be crucified and pay for sinners like he will. He's the only one who is capable of doing that. They couldn't do it if they tried. But what he is saying is your life will be patterned after mine. That my life of suffering and death and resurrection is actually a pattern for your life to come. You will, your life will look like my life. Now, in the case of James and John, here's, here's how that ended up for them. James, we see, uh, executed in the book of Acts. And John is the last apostle living. He writes the book of Revelation, but he is imprisoned on an island, on a, on a prison island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Patmos. Right? And it did not go much better for the remaining ten apostles. Um, but Jesus says, you will drink my cup. Your life will look like my life. If you follow Jesus, his path becomes your path. The gospel is a message we believe, but it also becomes a pattern that we live. This is all over the New Testament. Jesus puts it this way in Mark eight thirty four and 35. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's how Peter, another of Jesus' followers, puts it in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, All of that, what that's saying is that if you are united to Christ, your life will look like his. Why do we say that? Why is that important, right? Why is it important that we say that uh, we will follow him in in a downward path of death, but what does Jesus also say? What will happen after his death? He will be raised. That his father will bring resurrection. That's the that's the Christian life, death and resurrection. 
Why is that important for us to say? One, if we expect suffering, it can ease bitterness. Suffering is not this unexpected interruption to my normal course of life. It's actually the normal course of life. Because it was Jesus' normal course of life. So, suffering shouldn't come as a surprise, right? What did Peter say? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Jesus said this was coming. So, hopefully, right, if I can expect that, hey, there will be... There will be difficult days on account of Jesus. I can expect suffering. Then that eases my bitterness because it's not an interruption. It's actually normal. But then second, expecting resurrection keeps me from despair. I can expect suffering, but I can also expect resurrection. I can expect that because I will experience new life, I don't have to despair. Friends, we are, we are caught in a moment in history of great despair and of great fear. And many of us are party to that same fear and that same despair. And I wonder if it's because we have forgotten. Not only that suffering is normal, but also that resurrection is coming. And that we can hold on to both of those and not be swayed. We want leaders who think this way. We want leaders who have walked this road. Right? Why, why, do we want, why do we want to be people who have walked this road? Why do we want to be led by people who have walked this road? A few reasons. One, it's Jesus' road. So it's a, he's a good person to follow. Two, this is how Christians mature. This is how Jesus makes us more like himself. He carries us through suffering. He removes things from us to check our pride. And, as I said earlier, pride is the enemy of ministry. It is the enemy of love. So if I want to grow in love, if I want to grow in service to others, I need to have pride removed from me. And that's what suffering accomplishes in the life of the believer. All right? So... That's the new pattern for living. It's true of everyone who would follow Jesus. How about a new way to lead? Jesus shows us a new way to live, but he also shows us a new way to lead. Look at verse 25. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know how rulers usually are. You know what the great ones act like, right? We've had managers, teachers, principals, CEOs, bosses, presidents, parents who act like this, who take their authority and they use it over, right? They, they domineer. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you know how authority is usually handled, that those who have it Wield it for themselves. They domineer over other people. But then he says this. You will not be like that. That is a future tense. You will not be. It will not be so among you. Jesus doesn't say, guys, I've got a different model. If you're, if you're willing to listen, I've got a suggestion for you. He doesn't say that. He says, it's not going to happen. That's not how you will lead. 
you will lead very differently. Right? There are no Muhammad Ali's in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Muhammad Ali, the great speech, I am the greatest. That's not how, that's not going to happen in the kingdom. No one gets to stand up and say, I am the greatest. Except Jesus. Chrysostom was a church leader in the 4th century. He says this, Nothing is higher than lowliness of mind, and nothing is lower than boastfulness. Humility is a mark of Christian life and leadership. Jesus goes on. He says, On the contrary, whoever wants to be great will be your servant. The word there is where we get our word deacon from. It means someone who waits tables. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, you want to be first place, James, John, Kevin? Whoever wants to be first will be your slave, will be the person who has no rights, who has no place but what the master gives him. That's what leadership looks like in the kingdom. Christian leadership is not a race to the top. It's not jockeying for position and figuring out who's going to win. If anything, it's a race to the bottom. And so when you look for leaders over the next month, as you uh, pray, we'll have ballots available starting next Sunday. Uh, But as you pray and consider new leaders for our church body, I want you to look for those who are already serving, for those who are already giving of themselves to and for other people. That's a good indication of leadership in the church. Now, does that mean that Christians can't seek positions of leadership? Of course not. Many followers of Jesus have achieved great positions of leadership throughout history. Right? The point is not the position you hold, but how you hold it. Do you, do you see your authority as a way to benefit yourself or to serve others? And so when you look for leaders, look for those who are already serving. Look for those who stay late and arrive early. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the movie, We Were Soldiers... The story of General Hal Moore, uh, who took his uh, soldiers into Vietnam early on in the days of the Vietnam War. And what he tells them as they're training, and I love this line, as they're, as they're preparing for battle, he tells them, I will be the first man on the field, and I will be the last man off. And in the movie, they show that as he, he's the first one to step out of the helicopter. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a leader. Why would you not want to be the first person on the field of battle? Because it might mean you're the first one to take a bullet. Right? Typically we think, well, leaders need to stay in the background and be safe. But how more said, I'll be the first man on the field, and I'll be the last man off. And we see that more is, in fact, the last man off. Not only after the living soldiers have have, have boarded the helicopters and left, but even the casualties, the wounded and the dead. And how more is the, his, the sole of his boot is the last American boot to leave that field of battle.
That's what we're looking for in leaders. First man off, last man off. But we need to say this, too, that because of the way that Jesus' path works, leadership will cost us something. Leadership is costly. Very few of us fill our lives with bad things, but most of us fill them with too many good things. Serving others will constrict you. It will limit you. So you'll have to choose. The Jesus-shaped leader doesn't ask, what can I gain? But what can I give away? Not only will leadership cost you something, it, will also, it also comes with a great reward. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Loss. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Gain. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. For as Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. That's the loss and gain, not only of the Christian, but especially of the Christian leader. And what is it that empowers this living and leading? It's Jesus himself. Look at verse 45. Excuse me, not 45. 28. Jesus says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friend, if you have been ransomed, bought, purchased from slavery and captivity by the king of heaven, then you know freedom, and you know joy, and you have the opportunity to love and serve other people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that your service to us, your giving of yourself to us would compel us in giving and serving others. Lord, help us to renounce our very natural grasping for power and influence, just the way that we see James and John do it in this passage. Lord, help us to renounce that, to turn away from that, And instead, Holy Spirit, enable us to practice, Lord Jesus, what you practiced. Giving your life as a ransom for many. Lord, we we can't ransom anyone. We're not able to pay our own debt, let alone the debt of others. Only you can do that for us. And yet, out of thankfulness and response to you, we can sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We can give our time and our talent and our treasure to help other people know and follow you. Lord, for those who have never known you, who have never experienced the freedom that comes from being purchased by you, I pray that 
they would come to you this morning, that they would place their lives in your hands, that they would know what it means to be your servants. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.